0: everybody welcome to shitty book reports where the reports are shitty but the books are not i'm mark i'm here with trevor how you feeling today trevor or tonight trevor
1: good i feel like free indirect discourse how
0: do you feel free indirect discourse i feel like uh (laughs) proud papa proud papa happy father's day yeah thank you i had my first father's first official father's day yesterday
1: First, what does that mean? Did you have an unofficial?
0: <laughs> I, I've never been a father until this one.
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, did, was there a set? Was there? You know, did you get up on the right side of the bed that morning? Does the Does the holiday give? Oh uh, yeah, the totally, right energy.
0: It was totally different than every other day. No, it was cool. <laughs> it was cool. We did did some stuff, but yeah, nice. Um, day day one of vacation starting tomorrow too. Just gonna oh. take a little take some days off nice I feel like maybe this is a uh a
1: pessimistic statement but I think maybe it it would be cool if it was like it would make sense to me at least if like the the, like the father straight tradition was like dad
0: we're gonna leave you alone today yeah (laughs) I mean that's probably what it gets when you're like older and stuff yeah right yeah like like just let me do my thing yeah no one talked to me all,
1: day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Happy Father's Day.
0: <laughs> yep. It. We'll see. We'll see what it gets to, but uh, one of the things I'm doing on this vacation, there is a big book sale coming in about a week. Mm. A little bit less take, than a week, take, actually. <laughs> I hope you didn't take days off just for the book sale, but no, probably definitely, <laughs> a, definitely a bonus. Yeah, I'm excited for it. It's on the weekend. Uh, it's a book sale I've been to before. It's like a, a yearly thing.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, and normally what I'll do with these things is I'll go through, you know, uh, like a surgeon. I'll go through everything in detail. I'll scan, uh, scan them all, all -hmm. the books that are in the whole place.
1: Yeah, because exactly. uh, that's the only
0: of, like, that's the best way, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. Like systematically, like row by row, like
1: I yeah. usually am very dreamy, like when I'm first in a new bookstore or like a, a or a sale, I'm usually very disorganized, like I'm sort of like dreaming and kind of going around. And then eventually, when I've wasted enough time, I become the surgeon. Yeah, where I'm, <laughs> where I'm like, I like I look at the same shelf like two or three times. And I'm like, I feel like I'm like wasting you know, like I'm like not being methodical enough. And then I'm like, fine, yeah. book by book,
0: go. <laughs> yeah, one, one. I would say one of my like hidden talents is I have really good scanning vision, like for words. Like I'm really good at word searches. Mm-hmm. I can kind of like just gloss over and find what I'm, you know, if, mm-hmm. if anything checks one of my boxes or whatever, kind of like Terminator vision, you know, <laughs> it um that helps me at <laughs> book fairs and stuff like, I can just gloss over like the hundreds of identical Baldacci's on the, on the shelf and like right. find, find the, the one something that, yeah, yeah. What the I'm, one Baldacci. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Find the, the one other Baldacci.
1: I uh, like, I'm honestly, I'm,
0: for, I'm like honestly rare... open to finding the Baldacci. <laughs> uh, I did buy one of his books last year. Just oh shit. shit. So Spoiler that might be a point. But yeah. So that's what I would normally do, but I told, I told you uh, a few days ago in preparing for this or just to mull it over a little bit. The kicker here is due to COVID, uh, not being hundred percent over they have, and they've done this last year too. They have the tickets staggered. Mm-hmm. So like, there's not too many people in the building at once. So okay. I'm basically going to have like a half hour, a little more than a half hour to go through this whole big room of books and i want your help to strategize.
1: Oh, interesting. I need to figure
0: out what what i'm going to do, what what's my what's my plan of attack. I mean, it it definitely comes
1: down to the the base, the base, right? Is definitely going to have to be like what you're feeling right now. Like, you know how <laughs> we you know how we talk about often where it's like break versus not break. Yeah. You know of like, oh, i'm taking a break and i'm reading you know, Stephen King, or I'm taking a break, and I'm reading, you know, something that's like a page turner by the pool, versus like, because that's going to determine really, like, if you're going to, like, make a beeline for, like, mass market paperback, or if you're going to go, like, okay, like, into the classicals, like, am I going to find something that I've heard about, or, you know, what, or that I'm ambitious about, that I want to read versus, like, you know, and obviously, I mean, for me, it would be like, wherever it says nonfiction, and I'd be like, man. Nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you so, know, have you seen any pictures
0: that, or anything of like how they categorize it? Well, so I've, yeah, I've been to this same thing like last year and mm-hmm. the way it is, it's like fiction, nonfiction. And then within each one, it's like hardcore, hardcover, softcover, mm-hmm. there's hardcover paperback. But then I, I fucked up last year uh, because I didn't realize that, there's a fiction section. And then all the way on the other side of the building, there's a literature section. <laughs> and like, that's uh, okay. kind of, that's strange when it's, or that's like tricky. Like savers does that too. Like they'll separate literature from fiction. And it's just like sometimes, and it's mostly like classics or whatever, but then sometimes it's just like an arbitrary choice. Like, Oh, this seems like yeah. smart or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's like like uh, this guy yeah. should definitely be next to Dostoevsky, And it's like Franzen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just yeah, <laughs> stuff like that for sure. Like that that definitely happens. So I'm gonna have to go to the literature section and, and check that out. Yeah. Like I wanna I, I'm just because I'm like feeling uh I'm still uh or like last year I messed up that I, I think I gotta go literature first. Yeah, probably you have to go
1: literature first. Oh, sorry, I'm yawning. You have to go literature first because you missed it last time. So that's yeah. the first thing. And then you have to use your scanning powers to compress that time to see if you can get into another section. But I don't <laughs> think I don't think like classic lit is going to take you a full half hour or is it like,
0: you know, is it huge? It's not it, it's not huge huge. It's like how does it work? Also, uh, how like, can I, how can I like
1: discuss the scale? How does it work in terms of like, um, like, are you carrying your own books the whole time? Like, let's say you had like a mannequin. That's that's what we gotta work. talk about. How? <laughs> what
0: am I gonna do to carry everything? You
1: can't like bring them back. Keep like running back to a central point, like supermarket suite. Yeah, you can.
0: You can. You can bring them to a, a spot to like hold onto them for you if it gets. But like, is that a, a time of... waster? It could be. I mean, I can bring like reusable bag, a reusable bag with me, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, that, I think that's the move. I think you need to bring like a canvas bag, like your grocery shopping. Yeah. And just load it up. You can handle it. But I would say that if you are doing that, it's like hardcovers are are pretty much hard to justify in any context. Like as a reader, how often are you reading a hardcover book?
0: Yeah, I, mean, I choose... Don't typically choose them. It's kind of like uh, it's like something. Is where it I'm more like, to like pre- to preserve the book? Like, what? Why did they? Why did they start making hardcovers?
1: Oh, they definitely started making hardcovers as like a market move because a book comes out in hardcover first, sure. and it's like, and it's like, yeah, this is like the expensive thing that you're you have to buy if you can't wait. And honestly, that's the only hardcovers that I have. Like a bunch of my Murakamis are hardcovers.
0: Yeah, because you just that's the only way to get it.
1: Yeah. And, and all my late era pensions too. Like once yep. I knew who pension was, it's like, oh, bleeding edge is coming
0: out. Order. You yeah. Know. I know I did that. I, I have that hardcover too.
1: Yeah, Early exactly. So, so, okay, here, but, but in terms yeah. of a book sale, it's like almost like a non-starter. Like if I yep. see hardcovers, it's like, I'm going to lug that thing around. Like who has
0: a hardcover of, you know, <laughs> of infinite chest? Yeah do they? Wow. I haven't even, I don't think I've even seen one. I don't think that exists. Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing. I also, you know, I got to go to the kids section too. I got to get some kids books and like,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, (laughs) do I, since, you know, my daughter's like not at reading age yet. Do I, do I prioritize like good books there or do I just like grab a bunch of them that look pretty decent because <laughs> like there are ones because like, I don't have a reference for like anything that's newer obviously than like the mid 90s you know
1: mm-hmm. so if
0: I see something that I remember sure I'm going to grab that and be like okay we're going to have the same kind of like you know books that we remember like some Dr. Seuss or like Sticky Cheese Man or like <laughs> crap like that like any some of that stuff you know I'm, I'm yeah gonna, I'm going to grab that but like otherwise it's kind of just Literally, just judging by the cover, like, oh, this has like a horse on it. Yeah, I'm gonna grab that. <laughs> like, you know, into horses um, at the moment. Uh, well, no, just trying to see if I can nudge her in that direction. We'll see. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and the, the kids' books are actually expensive. The, all the same, like, yeah, the, the kids' books <laughs> have like the biggest variety of like shapes, too. So, like, I got to Tetris them in this bag because they're all, like, there's, like, pop-up books. There's, like, uh, there's some that are just, like, you know, like, two feet by two feet, like, square, but it's got, like, ten pages in it. It's just this huge thing.
1: And shapes can also honestly be very um, disorienting Mm -hmm. for the scannable vision. Mm -hmm.
0: Because, yeah, like, like,
1: I see that sometimes, like in, in stores and stuff, where it's like the whole shelf is like you can tell that they were like, this is the weird shape shelf, you know, yeah. where not everything quite fits. And you're like, oh God, like, I'm not going
0: through that. I just want to yeah. see like spines. It's like if you're looking at the sp- uh, spines on like vinyl records or something, it's like way too, some of them are just really skinny. Small, and it's hard. Yeah. yeah, really hard to see. But I'll, I'll figure that out, I guess. And then there's some that are like, you know, It's also 10 pages, but it's like, you know, five inches thick. (laughs) It's like a giant book, but just thick pages, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, that blocky stuff. We'll see. I'll see what I can do then. Okay. So there's fiction. There's nonfiction. Like I'm going to, I'm going to cruise through those. I'll, I'll, I'll make the time for like, you know, with my scanning vision, I'll, I'll figure that out and I'll, (laughs) I'll find the, I'll find the ones that, you know, stuff I've had in the back of my mind for, for whatever, maybe, maybe I'll get lucky and come across one of those. I know that there's also a section for graphic novels. Mm-hmm. There's also a section for cookbooks. And then there's kind of a section that's just like, I don't know what they call it, but like coffee table books. You know what I mean? Like yeah, something. Like yeah. Art books. There you go. Yeah. That that's there's always a whole, look. Yeah, that's definitely worth a look, but
1: I think I've said to you before, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to the podcast, but I've definitely said to you before that I anticipate one of my late in life weaknesses are going to be like art books because it's something that I've always appreciated. But at the same time, like one of the best things about reading in general, especially the type of reading we do is like, hey, I entertain myself for 12 hours and spend one dollar you know, (laughs) like, like that is the beauty of reading. Whereas like the art books and stuff is like totally inverse. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have a, it is the inverse. It's, it's, it's not as much time and way more expensive. We actually have near us in the new place that we moved. There's an art, there's an entirely art book store, including new stuff and old stuff. And it's like, this place is going to be my sickness. I've already like (laughs) wandered in once. I haven't spent a true like, you know, full chunk of a day there, but I've wandered in once and it's like, okay, can't wait to spend 80 bucks on this book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've gonna Yeah. Gonna. I mean, that's, that's why this sort of thing is cool though, because they're still cheap.
1: Yeah, it's going to be heavily
0: discounted, so that's an opportunity.
1: Basically, the conclusion of this strategy session is that you have to look at every section (laughs) thoroughly and quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I was hoping you could help me. Uh, So here's the thing. There's also CDs and DVDs. So I got to give those a little bit of time. But How much
1: are you using those still? I know.
0: It's like, it's a novelty thing. It's true. We like having CDs for like road trips and stuff, just like See, I, yeah, I made
1: I made a conscious decision many years ago when I was living in New York where I had started a small, a very modest, very small record collection. Like I had yep. like 10 or something. And then I remember when I was moving for one of the million times that I've moved, I, I literally like had a sit down with myself and I was like, Trevor, you collect books and that's all your life can handle. <laughs> like I gave away my record player and all to, my records to various friends. Yeah, to friends. me, I, yeah, gave, I, I gave, got some of them. <laughs> yeah, I gave you, you know, I think Genesis records. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, this is over. And now, and I've stuck to it, like to this day, even like, you know, you know, I'm a movie guy and stuff. And it's like, nope, I don't have a DVD collection. I don't have a Blu-ray collection. I have a book collection. That's
0: it. Nice. You know, I kind of I envy that because like I moved recently and it's a bur It's it can be a burden when you're like, God damn, I got like boxes of DVDs or whatever, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I think what I got to do is just ditch the cases and then just have like I did.
1: I did have one move where I had that phase. I had one of those. huge Black binders. What is that like the bar the bargaining? <laughs> like yeah, that yeah. phase. Yeah, so Denial. it's like okay, I
0: still had the DVDs, yeah. but I got rid of every case. Yep. Yeah, I might do that. That that seems like a good halfway step. Which obviously reduces its eBay potential by a yeah million, a million. And then percent. and then you have a <laughs> now I can have a single point of failure for if I like lose it or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it it's sucks that good. stuff like that, you know, because it it is like when you think of it, it's hundreds or thousands of dollars of that you like spent on this crap, you know, originally. And then now it's. Well, depreciate. Yeah. I mean, but that's well, everything. Yeah. It's like, that every, is everyone, everything. It's just, everyone. Everyone. It's books too, man.
1: You know, everyone admires the guy who has, you know a warehouse full of records but at the same time it's like yeah he's got like 15 cool records and then 10,000 shit records yeah. <laughs> and that would be the same thing with dvds it would be like whoa you have that rare dvd or whatever but
0: really is got- there even a rare dvd
1: um i think like
0: you know you know what? uh dogma that movie is randomly hard to find DVD. Oh, really? It, like, didn't, make some, a, didn't make that many copies of there's it.
1: There's some stuff that, like you know, should be part of people's collections and stuff. Like there's that there's the Evil Dead where the case is the
0: book from the Book of the Dead. Like, oh native, yeah,
1: native human flesh.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe I'll pick that up if I see it. Yeah. <laughs> this, pick up, pick up book the Necronomicon <laughs> <laughs> if you see it,
1: and make sure to read the passages out loud.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, budgeting is one thing I wrote down, but I'm not, I'm not worried about that. No. It's, and that's, it's that's one of cheap. the best
1: things about fairs like that is that yeah. just like, I could go wild, like you literally like lose your mind and then they're like $50, please. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> it's, it's not too crazy at the end. Our biggest sale of the year. And it's <laughs> like to charity and stuff. So you don't, you don't feel too yeah. bad. Uh, social distancing is a concern. Is that, look, still?
1: But they only stack. They stagger people, so that's the whole point. Yeah, they right But I still got
0: to deal with competition.
1: <laughs> yeah, there could be that sucks because what could happen is that you b line it to the literature section, and then there's someone who's like dawdling there. There's some loser in my way <laughs> that's honestly a thing that's like a silent battle in every bookstore whether social distancing oh, if, or if not they're like
0: moving left and you're moving right and you're just yeah. like approaching each other yeah, yeah or yeah. you know like like <laughs>
1: bookstores that have narrow aisles and it's just sort of like you're yeah, either the you're either the attacker or the defender <laughs> and i honestly feel really awkward when i'm the defender because i'm like like someone's waiting at the end of the aisle and i'm just like sorry bro
0: but like i am <laughs> thorough <laughs> you're blowing you're blown up the spot <laughs> yeah that's what you say to them
1: go over yeah. to nonfiction.
0: yeah uh maybe i'll wear some strong cologne or something I <laughs> <laughs> uh, i wanted to think about classics i don't I, I think I'm going to make the decision now that I'm not going to pick up anything that is public domain anyway. It's not like, cause I've been just yeah. like, I've been, I've been just doing the Kindle
1: mm-hmm. recently.
0: And cause it's nice. Like it's at I mean, night when I don't have like the the b- book light and stuff, you know, that public domain list pretty hard. Well, I'm just going to look at the year and be like, all right, if it's a hundred years old, then I can probably find it for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I, I am going to be, I think I'm making the decision that, or I made the decision that I'm going to be prioritizing stuff that I've never heard of.
1: Mm-hmm. gonna try like and good, find something, titles you've never heard something
0: of. that looks interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want some, some more uh, diversity in my bookshelf. Mm-hmm. So maybe stuff I've tangentially heard of or whatever, uh, but stuff I haven't, haven't read before. Or cool. authors I haven't read before but yeah that i think that's my strategy but <laughs> you're right it basically boils down to you got to cover everything and just, just just do it <laughs> just, and, just cover everything well. yeah <laughs> so okay it's like that um, whole debate you know how like nothing is good cheap and fast yeah <laughs> you, have, you have to pick two so it's uh it's 10 a.m that's that's when i'm that's when we're going to this thing mm-hmm. uh what I should have a good breakfast, right? Got to have a a good breakfast and hydrate (laughs) and do some stretching. (laughs) Wow. You're really (laughs) (laughs) watch out old man in section (laughs) in the children's section. Yeah, dude. Pretty much. Um, And then I think what I'll do is at the risk of like giving away stuff I might cover in the future. I think next week I will discuss my haul next episode i think that's that's the move all right yeah get get well i was gonna say write everything down but you'll have it in front of you yeah i'll just i'll just have the big stack we can uh we can go over it and why i'll tell you why i picked it (laughs) if i can if i even have a reason other than like greed (laughs) just like smog like someone someone else is about (laughs) to touch it yeah yeah (laughs) I'm just gonna steal shit from people's uh, carts or whatever if they have them. Nice. It's not stealing because they haven't paid for it yet, right? It really technically isn't. Uh, uh, in
1: love and war, what do they say? There's no rules in love and war. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it's the it's the whale of a tale book sale. Wow, whale! I get pick up Moby Dick. <laughs> whale, of, yeah, yeah. Hey, that's public domain though, right? Is it? Mm, probably is it almost? Maybe. Mm, it probably is. I
1: don't yeah. know. Unless it's like one of those like Mickey Mouse situations where they're making too much money off of it so they never make it
0: Yeah. So, anyways, that's uh I'll report on it next week. That that's uh that's my strategy. Go ahead. Right. We, we expect the we'll full report, Soldier. Yeah, we'll see how it dissolves as I get there. Nice eyes get big. <laughs> okay. So I'm going first this week Yep, for my, my book first. report. And so this is one I've been trying to get a hold of for a long time. And I told, I told you that I was hyped about it. Hmm. Uh, and the reason I stayed away until now was actually because everywhere that I looked, there were complaints about the specific versions of the book. Hmm. You know how Blade Runner has like, the US theatrical release, the international the cut, theatrical the final cut. Yep. The broadcast version. Like mm-hmm. so this book is like that, apparently, where they're just like different published versions that leave out some stuff or like make n- unnecessary edits or, and stuff like that to to be like uh you know cheap paperbacks or whatever.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's a book from 1932, but Eventually, I just said "fuck it" and I caved. And I probably read the substandard version. Like, I I had trouble tracking down like which one's the good one, you know? Right. But it was a great read, anyways. Even if I had the crappy version. Mm-hmm. So it's a debut novel. Ooh. It's one that's kind of considered a classic, but the author resents it because it's overpowered everything she did uh, afterwards. Okay even the direct sequel to this book was like overshadowed by the original, mm. you know, never got the same amount of attention. Uh, so I got my introduction to her the same way that a lot of people did, but I'll definitely be checking out some of the other stuff now. Definitely interested. What is it? <laughs> so, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not there yet. Come on. <laughs> uh, so, I'm sort of, you know, I'm like a sucker for, for whatever reason, even though it's like nowhere near my experience. I'm sucker for the, like the classic English novel or the classic con- English countryside novel, like Thomas mm-hmm. Hardy stuff. Yep. Where it's like a closed community suddenly has an outside influence and just like tears mm-hmm. tears shit up. You totally got to read Remains of the Day by issue. Yeah. yeah. All right. I did that on the podcast. Add it to the queue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this week I read Cold Comfort Farm by Stella Gibbons. Okay, Cold Comfort Farm. You heard this one? No, I was it's, expecting you know, something I've heard of. Yeah, so this is like, it's like the Mad TV parody of every earlier <laughs> rural English novel. Okay. You know, it's a straight up pair. It's, it's the funny version of the serious rural <laughs> novel. Nice. Um, but from the 30s. You know, mm-hmm. and so I didn't. I didn't come with a ton of background on Stella Gibbons today. I think she worked in. She worked in uh, journalism, I believe, and then had a bunch of novels after this one. And uh, the only, the only little thing I've got is that she. I, re- I learned that she died two days before I was born in Ooh, 1989.
1: So, so her um, spirit kind of hung around for two sure. days, and then yeah. <laughs>
0: got sucked into baby Mark. Yeah. Um, but I'm definitely gonna dig into her catalog eventually, so I'll try to like cover her uh, career at some point. Mm. So yeah, I've been actually wanting to track this down for a while, like I said, and it's because I've I've always seen it on lists of the you know funniest literature, mm. and I was really surprised first that it was actually funny, but two, it was really sinister in in some mm. ways. Like it had elements of kind of maybe maybe you could say psychological horror, like just very mm-hmm. small pieces of it, but you are almost like nineteen thirties um, dark humor. Yeah, almost like a gorman gasped sort of vibe to it. Like if you remember mm-hmm. when I covered that with Mervyn Peak, yeah. like otherworldly kind of characters in an almost gothic setting. Right. but like almost yeah just almost seem inhuman at by hmm. um, but obviously this came first this is the 30s and i think uh Gass is mid 40s um i'll try to give a good plot summary here in a uh, shitty book report fashion Do it. so ba- basically the main character's name is flora she's like a a modern sort of uh i guess you could say a socialite kind of from from london mm-hmm. so she's a she's city folk and she reminded me of what people, I guess, broadly think of the generic, I guess you could say Brooklyn millennium kind of thing. Brooke, sorry, Brooklyn millennial. Okay. Where they're like smart. They have the answer to everything that ails the world, but they don't like, they don't have a job. <laughs> that sort of person. Yep. Uh, and the great quote from the book is that she possesses every art and grace save that of earning her own living. Okay. And uh <laughs> lovely. Yeah, that's an, another millennial. another good quote from her uh when asked if she's ever going to work is well, when I'm 53 or so, I would like to write a novel as good as persuasion, but with a modern setting, of course. For the next 30 years or so, I shall be collecting material for it. If anyone asks me what I work at, I shall say collecting material. No one can object to that besides so I shall be. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so Anyways, Flora, she's uh, she's 19. So she's got that, you know, viewpoint of the world like that. Mm-hmm. Um, she, in the beginning of the book, she loses both of her parents. Both of her parents uh, die. And she decides to impose on her distant relatives for the next phase of her life, you know, for a place to live. And not really out of necessity. Like she has friends in the city who she can stay with and stuff, but more of like... Uh, she sees it more of like a project or like a puzzle that she can solve. Like she's just curious about doing something different because like, you know, she's not going to have a career, that sort of thing. So she sends out letters to all of her distant family contacts to get a feel for which place would pretty much just be the most interesting to her as like a social experiment. Okay. And the one that interests her the most uh, are the Stark adders. This is the family. They're a big set of relatives, but also like the hired hands who live on this rundown farm out in Sussex. You know where that is? Where's yeah, Sussex? I mean,
1: Sussex, I can't remember exactly, but it's one of the beautiful chunks of English countryside. Nice.
0: Uh, so these Stark adders, the... Um, the matriarch there, or all of them, you know, they, they, I guess, feel obligated to bring her in and give her this place to stay because of an unspecified wrong that was done to her father years ago that we, that we don't know what it is. So they're like, yeah, we owe you. So, yeah, definitely come and stay, you know, your family. And so that's, that's the basic premise. So she, she enters this world uh, as an outsider. And that's mm-hmm. like kind of how a lot of the um, like Thomas Hardy novels are set up where like it's this scholar who enters the rural area and he's like really impressive or, you know, uh, or, you know, he or she is really t- totally different and they, you know, uh, try and change things around them, uh, that sort of thing. So the humor here definitely comes in Stella Gibbon's, it's her exposition as and her dialogue. So Flora enters this totally discombobulated farm. Everyone there has their own like deep emotional problems. They're all, you know, screwed up in their own way. And the farm is not, you know, it's not being run properly. Uh, everyone is, you know, has a lot of, neuroses and and different, different stuff. She basically tries to, so she's seeing this, this project, she tries to go there and either set them all up with a new life by using her contacts from the city or playing matchmaker Mm -hmm. or really just kind of convincing them that they want more out of life than the shitty farm. Uh, But like I was touching on before, I was super surprised in reading this to discover how sinister it was like the 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 matriarch of the farm is aunt ada and so she's she's very old and she basically stays up in the attic out of sight
1: mm-hmm.
0: but needs to know everything that's going on and like you know <laughs> is perturbed by every small change and disturbance and like everything's got to have its order even though the place is really just falling apart but they can't like do anything because it she's you know uh, very demanding and um, set in her ways, and she kind of can like will like throw fits. Yes. Basically, you know she she's the main obstacle for Flora in her goal of changing things because you know she hates change. Everything has been the same for twenty years or so, or however long she has uh, been there watching over everything. So that's like where the dark part comes in and. Uh, I'm just going to read one quick highlight from the book that kind of introduces the character. Got to find this highlight real quick. Highlighted a lot from this book.
1: Nice. Uh, Actually, the book that I read this week, I like regret that I didn't write in it more.
0: (laughs) Oh, damn. (laughs) So here's this passage. If she intended to tidy up life at cold comfort, she would find herself opposed at every turn by the influence of Aunt Ada. Flora was sure that this would be so. Persons of Aunt Ada's temperament were not fond of a tidy life. Storms were what they liked, plenty of rows and doors being slammed and jaws sticking out and faces white with fury and faces brooding in corners and faces making unnecessary fuss at breakfast. And plenty of opportunities for gorgeous emotional wallowings and partings forever and misunderstandings and interferings and spyings and, above all, managing and intriguing. Oh, they did enjoy themselves. They were the sort that went trampling all over your pet stamp collection or whatever it was and then spent the rest of their lives atoning for it. But you would much rather have had your stamp collection. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a very accurate description of there. There are people that are definitely like that. Like everything's harder than it has to be, or like there's a yep. problem for every solution, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's so like another sinister part about it, though, is Aunt Ada, she's always going on about um quote as like the nasty thing she saw in the woodshed as a little girl. Oh, she's like always talking about it. And we Shit. we can kind of presume that it's what's driven her mad but mm-hmm. we never find out what it was. Like some that's sort of like, that's trauma. really creepy. Yeah, yeah. And we never find out what was, we never, you know, that I said that they felt like they owed her because mm-hmm. of some unspecified thing. We never find out what that was either, save for like at the very near the end, you find out like that a goat was involved and that's it. That's all like, oh, that's all you find out about it. And she's like, she finds out that and she's like, well, did the goat die? <laughs> like that's mm-hmm. That's it. So wow. it's, but it's, it's, you know, she manages to make that sort of thing funny. Like there's a part, uh, where there's like, uh, there's this kind of city, city guy comes in. Uh, I'll just say that much. And like on Ada's is like, Oh, the, na- I saw this nasty thing in the woodshed and the guy's like, Oh, did it see you? <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and I thought that was so funny for like, uh, for like, a uh, you know, almost hundred year old book. The, yeah. the delivery of it was really good. Nice. Um, uh, yeah. And I want to read one more section right here. And it there's this, because there's a lot of funny parts I could read from this book. But there's a section here where there's a character called Mr. Mybug. And she kept his name as Mybug, even though it's actually like a misunderstanding of of what his name was in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But she just kept it that way for the rest of the book. Uh, and he's like a bogus sort of Like int- a
1: Stephen King type thing to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like his and, name was, you know, balding, but he, And then he just like calls it baldy or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> someone's nickname or something. Yeah. So Mr. Mybug, he's, he's like a bogus intellectual and he's like a writer mm-hmm. and he's writing a book. And this is an interesting kind of like jab by it, or funny uh, premise by, by Gibbons here. He's, a, he's an intellectual who's writing a book about how he thinks that – or he knows, sorry, that all the great uh, Bronte novels like Wuthering Heights and Jane Eyre, mm-hmm. they were so obviously written by the brother of the family. <laughs> 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 Brand what a guy. guy. Yeah, yeah. So he like, he has this whole research – Uh, novel that he's putting out like based on these bogus clues that it's clearly like from his from his correspondence you can clearly tell that this is his like Mm -hmm. turn of phrase or whatever but so this guy like he's uh he falls in love with flora like immediately uh and he's really pathetic in his attempts to woo her and uh so they kind of she goes on for a while with that it's like it's it's some pretty funny passages here i got to uh Scroll up to this. So it's like 250 pages, I think. Wasn't like a huge book, but um, I read it pretty quickly. It it was good. Uh, Mr. Mybug mistook, uh, mistook her lack of enthusiasm and thought it was due to inhibitions. He remarked how curious it was that most English women, most young English women that was, English women of about 19 to 24, were inhibited cold. That was what young English women from 19 to 24 were. They used sometimes to walk through a pleasant wood of young birch trees, which were just beginning to come into bud. The stems reminded Mr. Mybug of phallic symbols and the buds made Mr. Mybug think of nipples and virgins. Mr. Mybug pointed out to Flora that he and she were walking on seeds, which were germinating in the womb of the earth. He said it made him feel as if he were trampling on the body of a great brown woman. He felt as if he were a partner in some mighty rite of gestation. Flora used, used sometimes to ask him the name of a tree, but he never knew. Yet there were occasions when he was not reminded of a pair of large breasts by the distant hills. Then he would stand looking at the woods upon the horizon. He would wrinkle up his eyes and breathe deeply through his nostrils and say that the view reminded him of one of Poisson's lovely things. Or he would pause and peer in a pool and say it was like a painting by Manet.
1: Sounds like quite a. Uh, he's like some like perv.
0: Yeah, pretty much. He's also, who's also <laughs>
1: he's kind of like a 1932 red pill. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: Um, like it was the Bronte brother. Yeah. No, his so his parts are very funny, and she just like she just uh, dunks on him all the time. Like uh, nice in, in funny ways and rebukes him at every, every turn. Um, so I, yeah, I, I could definitely go on about this book for a while, but for now, I just want to touch on one more thing that makes it special. And I'm going to lean on Wikipedia for this, for the, mm-hmm. um, explanation of it. Cause one of the things I noticed and one of the things I didn't, but here's a, here's a passage from Wikipedia under, uh, under the section called futurism, Although the book was published in 1932, the setting is an unspecified near future, shortly after the Anglo-Nicaraguan Wars of 1946. It refers to future social and demographic changes, such as the changing neighborhoods of London. Mayfair has become a slum, and Lambeth is now fashionable. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> the book con- the book contains technological developments that gibbons thought might have been invented by then such as tv phones and air taxis so this novel has been compared to science fiction hmm. so that's pretty sick like 1932 yeah it sounds TV like, a, phone. It's like
1: a yeah it's
0: like a precursor douglas adams sort
1: of situation
0: yeah i did notice that i was like why the hell is everyone flying <laughs> like everyone <laughs> seems to like be able to fly places really easily for 1932 <laughs> they're just like landing anywhere it's like right in the driveway pretty much nice. it's crazy uh so yeah that's cold comfort farm i thought it was awesome and uh there's been a bunch of versions of it like movies and plays and stuff and there's a sequel called like i think it's called the winter at cold comfort farm or something um i do have a couple one star reviews here
1: I who hated the funny book
0: yeah Justine says, "Know-it-all London gal takes on cartoonish rural characters and saves them from their backward ways, as unconvincing as it was tedious." Hmm. And one here from uh, Purnima says, "Not sure what the brouhaha is, but I found the book subpar in intelligence and above average in cliches." Alrighty. Yeah, whatever. Um, I just like that one because it was like a fancy review, like kind of snobby but uh interesting
1: snobby one star
0: yeah nice. we've learned with this there's no book that is immune to the one star review
1: there's no book yeah didn't 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 we once say that like we're gonna have to look up the one star reviews for uh and frank's diary oh yeah
0: <laughs> they're <laughs> in there there's plenty of them there's I'm tons sure. of them because people are like i hated reading this for school oh my god um But yeah, this book was sick. You should uh, read it at some point.
1: Cold Comfort Farm. Yep. Nice. Kind of sounds like a satirical milk brand, which I'm sure she would enjoy me saying. Milk brand? Who's that? No, I'm saying like it sounds like something that you would pick up
0: like a jar of milk. It's like
1: Cold (laughs) Comfort Farm.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I guess so, yeah. (laughs) Nice. I think it was like fancy, uh, you know renaissance writer called milk brand with like a q <laughs> <laughs> <Milk>
1: <laughs> <Brand>. <laughs> yeah I,
0: I really thought that's where you were going nice milk with a q yeah
1: um okay so i'm like to start my first of all good job that sounds cool. cool um To start my review of my book, I'm going to have to dive back into the beginning of your review because it happened again in in the grand tradition of actually having literary conversations, which we've said before are so rare. That's why we started the podcast. All of these connections kind of like come out of nowhere. And it's really crazy. So, in the beginning of your book, were you saying in your review, were you saying that one of the characters wanted to write persuasion
0: or the author herself wanted to write persuasion? She wanted to write a book as good as persuasion. That was and like, oh, yeah, I'll just write something persuasion ish, you know? <laughs> the character. Yes. Yeah. In the book. Yep. The character.
1: So in a way, would you say that that was the author satirizing, like basically, like, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to fart out
0: Persuasion, but that's impossible. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't. I think it was more h- highlighting the protagonist's kind of naivety and uh um, yeah. cocky kind of dandyish qualities.
1: Right. So my book this week is the 1818 novel Persuasion. <laughs> <laughs> Damn by Jane Austen. So like, yeah, I mean, you're going along doing your review and I was like, and your report. And I was like, what the fuck (laughs) we're already (laughs) talking about persuasion. Uh, I can definitely say that this, but like on the, on like doing the trail of books. Um, so this goes back to, um, a, a bookstore that I actually went to kind of during the pandemic, but there was like a bookstore in, uh, one of the towns in East LA that was doing, you know, like limited capacity, like you can come to the bookstore, even though it's still the pandemic type of thing. Yeah. And I ended up picking up persuasion and bookshelving it off of an employee recommendation, which, you know, books, bookstores should never stop giving employee recommendations because it's
0: yeah.
1: eye catching, you know, it definitely sells books. And it sold me this edition of Persuasion for six dollars, even though you could probably find it on the Kindle for free. Yeah. Um, so published in eighteen eighteen, it's the last of Jane Austen's novels. Um, it was published posthumously. I think it's like the like one of the last things she wrote, but it was published posthumously at the same time as the other Jane Austen novel that I've covered on the podcast called Northanger Abbey. Yep um but to be honest I was like really shocked at the difference and like between the depth of feeling between Persuasion and um and Northanger Abbey and I'll get into that but also the second avenue of approach towards um reading the book this book this week was you know I had read um A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf and she was you know talking about all the great female establishing authors like Austin and the Bronte sisters
0: and yeah. stuff like that. So I was like, now and that I'm well, yeah. Well, of and, course, of course. And, the real mastermind. <laughs> wait, wait, isn't that who wrote your, that's book? the brother. Yeah. No, oh, Branwell, Branwell, the brother
1: Bronte. who wrote of all of them. Yeah. Yes. He was front and center in a room of one of one's own. Um, no. Yeah. So then I knew like I had had this Jane Austen book, like whatever, blah, blah, to be honest. Jumping back into Jane Austen, I probably wouldn't have jumped back into her if I had remembered that Northanger Abbey was by her <laughs> because, <laughs> because I didn't really like I, I mean, maybe I could do another reading of it now that I have her like a feel of her a little bit better. But in terms of the idea, so. I went to go look at when Persuasion was published and I was like, it's definitely like, cause I, the employee recommendation had said like, this is the late career of Jane Austen. Like it's like one of her best books. So I was like, oh yeah, it's definitely written way after Northanger Abbey because now she has like the hang of it and it's like really awesome and really good. And it was like, nope, published the same year. Like Like, she didn't write them at the same time, but Northanger Abbey was published after her death as well as Persuasion. And they were kind of written like in similar, similar times. And I just didn't get that at all because persuasion had this like really deep, like depth of feeling, whereas I felt Northanger was a little bit more superficial, but I will, I will stop comparing those two and get into the actual grit of what persuasion is about, so there's a few different theories about why it's called persuasion. People are saying like, oh yeah, I mean, I, there's like themes of persuasion that, uh, throughout the novel of people persuading other people to do other things. The actual word comes up towards the very end of the book um, when the love story is sort of concluding. So I almost think I'm a little bit more on board with the idea that she just called it that because it's in, in one of the concluding conversations of the main love plot. Um, but, uh, in a way persuasion also fits your theme of the English countryside novel, because it's that, you know, same thing. It's like, this is going to be a book about rich people in England and it does not disappoint in that regard. Um, basically what's happening that is the sort of like impetus of this novel is this like rich family's life is getting kind of like. Switched around. It's not that okay. So the main character is Anne Elliot, who is. Wait, does it
0: fit? Does it fit my theme of a closed community with a, no, the outside influence, and then everything is changed forever? No. Ah, no. It doesn't. Ha- it doesn't have the guy
1: who comes in and changes it. It does a little bit, but it's not. It's not as rock solid okay. um as that. Um, so Anne Elliot is the daughter of Sir Walter Elliot who also has two other daughters, Mary and Elizabeth. And this is one of those types of books too, where you kind of like learn the family tree. Um, Even though, I mean, I could have used this uh, image that's on Wikipedia um, while I was reading the book, but I can say I'm actually uh, texting it to you right now, but I can say that I actually, I can say that I actually knew this all in my head, even without this image. Um, That's a good amount of people. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty extensive. So there's Sir Walter Elliot and his daughters, Mary Elizabeth and Anne Elliot are kind of like the most kind of central figures around this and being the clear, like main character. And what's happening in their lives is that it's not that their dad is in actual financial trouble, like how, like a a commoner would be in financial trouble, but he's basically shuffling shuffling around his finances and he's like, we live in this big giant mansion and our mansion is like super fancy, like the Mm -hmm. English countryside house, like think of Downton Abbey style. And he's basically like, I'm going to move into Bath, the, you know, the nearby city of Bath, very iconic. If you ever go to London, it's easy to visit Bath and it's like very Mm -hmm. quaint and beautiful. So he's like, I'm going to like move into a smaller estate in Bath. And then I'm going to be renting out this you know, our main home. So the girls, Airbnb it. Yeah. Airbnb it. So the girls are sort of like, Oh, like in a way that's exciting in, in Ellie and Anne's mind, she's a little bit more reserved and like kind of quiet. And she's like, I'm not really looking forward to it, but I guess, you know, if it has to happen, but then what Anne discovers is that the people who are going to rent the estate who are called the Wentworths, they are like distantly related to one of her former love interests that you like know nothing about. And Jane Austen is really good at kind of like teasing out these little details where it's like the reason why Anne is so nervous is that even this like super tangential connection that she knows that at some point, because the Wentworths are like going to rent their massive mansion or whatever that, there's going to be some sort of like either social gatherings or like whatever, or like he'll come to visit them and she'll be in the area and she's like, she's like, Oh my God, I'm super nervous because this, and it's like kind of one of those things too, where it's like um, this has been like her only love interest, like in her whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's like that kind of like pressure of time on it and stuff like that, which is kind of interesting just because like, you know, nowadays it's like, oh, I got over him and now I've been swiping right ever since, (laughs) but now it's like, you know, the, the weight of time is something that's like completely different back in 1818. And they're okay. So now that, like, you know, kind of the situation, it's the typical thing of like, there's like all these different characters and they have social gatherings and they play piano and they talk and blah, 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 and whatever. But I did find this book addicting to keep coming back to and I read it pretty quickly. I mean, it's like 270 pages and I ripped through it in like two weeks or like a week and a half or whatever. And, um, What's really good about Persuasion that I felt like it was way different than Northanger Abbey is that Anne's internal life is like very interesting. Like she's more like as like a character that's developed psychologically, I felt it was like years beyond the other Jane Austen book that I had read. That's why I thought it might have been written at a different time. But there's just really cool stuff going on with Anne, and a lot of it has to do. And I think it echoes is echoed in the themes of other um, men in the novel is that so there's this idea, right, that Anne had this romantic tryst with Captain Wentworth that didn't really work out. And now when he's like returning back into their social circle, it's like, she is the passed over woman who it's like, she's in the novel. She's only like 28 years old or 27 or something. But at that time in like this period of history, it's like, Oh, your life is over. Like, you're not like you never married, you know, Yeah, you're a spinster
0: at 27.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. And it's like, so crazy, but her internal dialogue of like, all of these social cues and stuff. I honestly felt like it was that it's that same thing that I was talking about with Balzac where it's like, you know, he, he gives you like every little detail of everyone's internal lives. And then when they come together for social events, it's interesting to see like how it all plays out. Cause you know, like who thinks who of what, and yeah. you know, all
0: this other stuff. Yeah, so you have all the inner thoughts before the action actually happens. Right? Yeah, yeah. So
1: this book is not as exhaustive as like, you know, everyone's inner thoughts. It's more like you only know Anne's, but it's just like a really fascinating character of like this woman who feels she's fully convinced that Cap- like now that captain Wentworth is back on the scene, like there's other younger girls within their social circle and she can see that he's like minorly courting them. And he's, she's just like, I'm just a piece of shit. Like, Like, you know, i have just I'm completely passed over like all these other things. And there's also a lot of themes throughout the book that are also echoing, like repeating that, like giving her like an echo chamber. Like, for instance, her mother has passed away and her father. She has like these ideas like like in her head that kind of play out where it's like her dad is like minorly romantically interested in one of his sister's friends. And she's, like, I'll do, like, anything socially to sort of, like, prevent the idea that, like, this father figure that I have in my mind is, like, so, like, impure as to be, like, yeah. macking on oh, God. Elizabeth's oh, Beth's friend. So there are, like, some social machinations, like, with that. And then there's another side character. Just I think, honestly, just for, like, getting it up to novel length, there's, like, another, like, few side dramas and stuff like that where it's, like... There just seems to be a lot of people in a lot of men in this book where it's like, yeah, I was married to that lady, but she's dead now. So I'm good to go, you know, and it's like her dad is like that her cousin who has a claim to like the estate in the future if her father dies is also like that. And he's like kind of courting and even though like her like his wife is like fresh in the grave, like she died like a few weeks ago or something like that. And there's just all this like really, I, I definitely noticed that as a theme where I was like, everyone has a dead wife, and everyone <laughs> is a, like,
0: yeah, widow, you know,
1: and looking for a new like hot young thing, and Anna, and and Anne is sort of like, yeah, like she's like accomplished, she's attractive, she's intelligent, but since she's 27, she's like insane or whatever, uh, and like passed over. Now, something that I would, if I wasn't, if I wasn't gonna give this book five stars, and I was gonna give it four event and i'll like spoiler alert here people if you're really invested in persuasion and want to read it but it does kind of like come back around for her like the the first half and like actually more like 75 percent of the like first part of the book is this fascinating kind of like deep psychological study of what she believes is happening around her but then the last like quarter of the book is her kind of finding out that some of those suspicions were not necessarily true and that Captain Wentworth does still have feelings for her so it's kind of like a little bit of a 180 of like, oh, like I know that this Captain Wentworth dude is a piece of shit and all he wants to do is like bang the youngest thing that will accept him. But it's not like a hundred percent true. It's a little bit more like nuanced within the the you know social kind of blah 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 of the day. Okay but I want to read a passage from page 74 of my edition. These are like how the good, like little details get dropped about Anne, where it's like, this book is just like very interesting and it has lots of little passages like this. So I will read, uh, they're having a, This is um, a gathering once the Airbnb guests have arrived and actually and Captain Wentworth has been reintroduced into her life, like in minor social ways. Like they've really only caught a glimpse of each other after having, uh, you know, broken up, basically, quote unquote, broken up seven years ago. So the evening ended with dancing. On its being proposed, Anne offered her services as usual, and offering her services means that she was playing the piano. She's a good piano player, so she plays the piano for everyone. So the evening ended with dancing. On its being proposed, Anne offered her services as usual, and though her eyes would sometimes fill with tears as she sat at the instrument, she was extremely extremely glad to be employed and desired nothing in return but to be unobserved. It was a merry joyous party and no one seemed in higher spirits than Captain Wentworth she felt that he had everything to elevate him with general which general attention and deference and especially the attention of all the young women could do the Mrs. Haters, the fem- uh, Haters, which is another family, the females of the family cousins already mentioned, were apparently admitted to the honor of being in love with him. And as for Henrietta and Louisa, they both seemed so entirely occupied by him that nothing but the continued appearance of the most perfect goodwill between themselves could have made it credible that they were not decided rivals. If he were a little spoiled by such universal, such eager admiration, who could wonder? These were some of the thoughts which occupied Anne while her fingers mechanically at work proceeding for half an hour together equally without error and without consciousness. Once she felt that he was looking at herself, observing her altered features perhaps, trying to trace in them the ruins of the face which had once charmed him, and once she knew that he must have spoken to her, she was hardly aware of it till she heard the answer, but then she was sure of his having asked his partner whether Miss Elliot ever danced. And so on and so forth. So she has like this inter- internal life of like, I'm just going to cry at the piano. And like, this guy is just going to look at me like I'm like a,
0: like passed over piece of shit. And yeah. That's and she's, yeah. And she's, not playing the piano angrily she's keeping her composure just yeah she's, she's just like servicing everyone at the purposes. yeah yeah
1: and like everyone's having a lovely time and the evening passed pretty well oh. except for the fact that she was just yeah, crying dying inside yeah. <laughs> yeah so really good um One thing that I will like conclude with before I get into my one-star review and stuff is the idea of, you know, Austin, I, I compared her to Balzac earlier, which I stand by, like all that detail and then going into all these social settings and kind of the inner workings of people and how they work.
0: But what's interesting
1: is I've mentioned several times already that this book is published in 1818, which is like fully... 10 to 20 years before Balzac even starts writing. Oh. So Balzac starts publishing his first novel in 1829, which is 11 years later, right? Mm -hmm. 1818 to 1829. And then, you know, what really gets cooking for like his amazing career is in the 30s. And like, you know, stuff like Lost Illusions is even yeah it's like in the 1830s so what's really interesting is just the idea and I think that that also comes up in A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf where it's basically like the, the this like lady was very advanced <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was like a page turner like I was like coming back for more like a million times so yeah.
0: That's all you. That's what all you can ask for, right? That's all you can ask for. <laughs> I mean, uh, too, you know, too many classic books have you know let should let you down. Fully two hundred years down. later. Yeah, the, the internal life of Anne Elliot, the passed over woman. Every time we go, like, oh, you know, whatever year and so was like not that long ago, but that that that's pretty long. Two hundred. Yeah, years that ago. is pretty long. That is
1: <laughs> that's fully. Uh, 70 years before Hitchcock was born. So yeah. <laughs> that's pretty long. That, that's yeah. not any like, oh yeah. Okay. And uh, I have a one star, like the one star reviews honestly weren't that inspiring, but a uh, one star review from user Nika on Goodreads. I have to give it up. I can't do this anymore. I'm 75% in, which we know is the ultimate insult. <laughs> and I have no more connected to the story than I was on the first sentence. I have tried and tried and reading this book feels like chewing sawdust to me. Maybe I will pick it again one day, a day far, far in the future. Oh, wow. How long is the book? It's not long. My edition is like a little paperback. That's 271 pages. Okay. Yeah. That's a good size. Yeah. I mean, it's not tiny. I mean, it's not, it doesn't feel hefty. And yeah. I
0: read it really fast. So is there anything that happens three quarters in that you can remember? Like what's what happens at the three quarter mark? Well, it's
1: interesting that
0: that that just the, the user the Nika
1: said three quarters because wasn't I in my shitty book report just now? I was like the first three quarters were the best. <laughs> and then the <laughs> last fourth. The last fourth is sort of like the typical, like, okay, they're gonna get back together. Like Yeah, wrap know, it up. I'm, everything's coming together where it's like maybe Anne wasn't as you know like maybe she should have had more self-esteem because she's beautiful and intelligent and everyone knows it but it was more interesting when she was sort of like tearing herself to shredding yeah um and there's some interesting other little crazy quirks that happen in there like there's a really surprising part in the middle where one of the younger girls
0: gets dropped and she goes gets into a coma What? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I don't yeah. associate anything like that with this book. Yeah,
1: no, my job was on the floor. It was, like, oh my it was like, yeah, he went, they were playing around on the beach, and then Captain Wentworth went to go catch her, and she came up, and she was basically dead. <laughs> and you're like, what? Which that's, is also, that's honestly, true. that's another plot point that, in retrospect, now that I'm saying it out loud, is, like, So, in a way, he was sort of, like, courting that girl, and that's what Anne's perception was. I just mentioned the two girls at the party, Henrietta and Louisa, and Louisa is the one who, halfway through the book, he drops her on the beach, and she, like, cracks her head open, and she's in a coma for, like, like 30% of the rest of the book. Oh, my God. And to be honest now, like I'm saying now that I'm saying it out loud, it's like, did he just be like, Oh, I I guess I'm not going to be in love with the girl that I like almost killed. So you're back in and wait, it was, it was the love interest that dropped her. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 He's like, Oh, I feel so guilty. And like, he's racked with guilt and does all this work to like, make sure that she's okay. And like, like happy that she doesn't die. But at the same time, you know, upon you know hindsight is 2020. 20, I'm like, but that's kind of like when he started to like turn back to Anne. Oh god,
0: that that's that's pretty sinister.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: I just Fair thought it suspect. That. Yeah, yeah, wow persuasion. <laughs> he's persuading himself that he's a good guy still. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Okay, sounds yeah, sounds good. Another classic tackled.
1: Another classic tackle, Jane Austen. This was way better than Northanger Abbey. I don't know what the fuck. I think you were writing Persuasion really well and then, like, (laughs) side-jobbing Northanger (laughs) Abbey or something. Yeah, Uh, That was a side novel. Side novel. Nice. Cool. Uh, well, that's both of our reports. So thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Shitty Book Reports. You can find us. We're doing better now. We're doing like every week, every Yeah, yeah, more consistent. So you Back can find us it. most of the time on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Twitter, all these different things where you can find normal podcast people. You can find us. You can email us, sbrthepodcast at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, tell us how you're feeling. See you later. See you.